Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning online. Glad you're with us. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, I thought everyone was having so much fun with COVID, I didn't want to miss out, so I joined the club. And uh, it is now far enough in the past that I am well past being contagious. Uh, I managed to make it through the first service without a coughing fit. Hopefully, I'll do that this service. Uh, that's one of two things that lingers. The other thing is, uh, well, three things. I, I get a little fuzzy-headed, but uh, the other thing is I, I kind of get my battery runs down, right? Those of you that had it know how this works. So uh, my energy's fine, but it's like an old computer or old cell phone where suddenly the battery just drains. Some of you are immediately saying, praying, actually, that it'll drain in 32 minutes. And um, I'm praying that God will just give us the grace for, for the whole morning. Um, glad, glad to be with you. And um, as I was... Um, kind of isolated at home, and by the way, our symptoms were very mild. Thank you for those of you that reached out and um, encouraged us, but we're, we're doing great. Um, but I, I was reminded of, of the challenges that we face, uh, not just from the pandemic, but from all kinds of things. There's a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, a lot of suffering in the world all the time, and right now it seems that that tends to get highlighted more or rise to the surface more, or for whatever reason, we just seem to be going through a really stiff season of that, and maybe you're experiencing that yourself. Um, I just want to encourage you that this morning we're going to look at suffering and affliction and the comfort that God brings in that, so hopefully this is really timely. I think it's always timely, actually, because it doesn't matter your uh, phase in life. It doesn't matter your stature, if you will, in your spiritual journey. Um, it's just something we all wrestle with. I was having conversation with multiple people this week where they were processing the, um, the dynamics, if you will, of, of struggle and challenge and, and um, pain and, and suffering and how God works through that, right? One, one conversation I had... <clears throat> Was, and these were all very, very godly, very um, solid leaders that uh, have, have really trusted Christ and have led many, many people to follow him. Um, so one I was talking with early in the week, uh, this person's life had been completely upended by sickness for some time. I mean, just absolutely changed everything in their life and in the family member's life, and it's just disrupted all of, all of what life has been for some time and has changed the direction in many ways for the future. So there's these dreams and these ideas and these aspirations that aren't going to be real, and it's like, now what? And this conversation was with somebody that um, had, had begun to get a sense of, I think this is, the, this is where God is moving in the next thing that's coming, and there was a sense of excitement and anticipation, but it's also this processing of life that says, wow, that didn't go as I thought. That was really hard, continues to be hard. There's things that aren't going to change. Now what? Where's God taking me in this? Uh, another conversation I had was with somebody who was very much still in the dark place, not in despair. They're trusting God. They're experiencing his grace. They are um, being sustained but the future is just really unclear, and mostly life is how do we navigate this next choice and this next choice and this next choice just the best that we can, and it really just always hurts, right? I was having a conversation with a third person um, who was in a, a different place again. They had been through some very crushing things uh, in, in the past that had really... Um, 
Well, it, it, was, it was kind of a, a, a difficult thing to process because they, they said, these were their words, and, and it really struck me, because they said this in, in genuine integrity, right? This wasn't some kind of braggadocia. It was just, I did, I did the right stuff. I did it all the right way. Not like they got it all perfect, but they were being faithful. They were doing what they were supposed to do, and it, and it all blew up. And what do I have to show for that? And processing, what... What do I do with that? How do I, how do I respond? How do I experience God in this? What's God's plan as I wrestle and as I struggle? Right? You may be in a place this morning where you have some sort of medical thing that's really loomed large, and it, it's eclipsing your view of what's next. You may have some financial thing. There may be some relationship uh, issue, challenge. It really goes deep, right? Uh, there, there can be all kinds of things. This is a season probably where we're a little bit more in tune with that. What do we do with those things? If you have a Bible, if you go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to look at uh, affliction and we're going to look at comfort. And as we do, I want to encourage us um, to look at it differently than might be our, our reflex. Right, because as we come to this idea of affliction and comfort, uh, there's a lot of preconceived ideas that are at loose in Christian culture, and a lot of them are really, really bad. And um, sometimes we recognize that, and it still sneaks into our heart in kind of the back door. Sometimes we don't even see that. Here's the reality: you and I are walking through a broken world. Right? We are walking through a broken world. There is no way to walk through a broken world without our feet getting cut up pretty good. So it's going to hurt. There's going to be hard things. There's going to be pain. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be difficulty. Sometimes we are tempted to ask the question, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm doing good, not in the, yeah, I'm, aren't I something, but just I'm seeking to follow God. Why is a hard thing happening to me? Why do hard things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a question that gets asked a lot, and it's the wrong question because it shows a fundamental misunderstanding. Take off the word good and just say people. Why do bad things happen to people? Because that's what happens. Bad things happen to people. Good people, bad people, all kinds of people. That's the world we live in. So if I'm going to faithfully experience the presence of God in my life, walk in his grace, walk in partnership with his spirit, and stay on the path that he's got for me, I have to come to grips with the fact that there's going to be things that are hard. There's going to be things that take me by surprise. There's going to be things that knock me sideways. Now what? And in those places, in those experiences, God shows up. And in this passage, it talks about comfort. God brings comfort. But um, spoiler alert, uh, comfort's not the way we tend to think of it. And if your theology of struggle, suffering, pain, and comfort can be captured on a perky bumper sticker, you need a new theology. Because that's, that's just really not biblical, but it's, it's really common. So if you, have your, um, if you have your Bible, open to 2 Corinthians, we're going to see, um, let, me, let me point out to you one more thing here. Um, Paul's not necessarily answering the question of why suffering um, that might be an overreach. Um, I think what he's doing is he's showing here are benefits that come through this. He's going he's to talk about suffering and struggle and affliction, is the word used most commonly, and comfort. And he's going to say here are four benefits that come from that. 
Uh, is that why God allowed this to happen or God caused this to happen? Well, it probably is part of an answer, but sometimes when we put our, fasten our minds under the idea of why, we're demanding more than we actually are capable of, of deriving from what God's saying. God's not going to necessarily answer why. There are things in his heart and in his mind we will never fully understand. And sometimes we're looking for what we would say is, I need a satisfying answer to struggle. I need a satisfying answer to suffering. And that's not available. You will not find that. And the reason is because of the way we define satisfying. When we say that, what we typically mean is, I want it to feel better. I want to I understand this, so I go, oh, okay, that's fine. That's not available. God doesn't give us that. He, however, does give us a sufficient answer. One that's enough to say, oh, okay. I still don't get this, I still don't like that, I'm still struggling with this, but I'm able to follow you, I'm able to track with you, I'm able to trust you. And that's what Paul is giving us here. And he's going to give us four, uh, if you will, positive outcomes from his suffering and the comfort that God brings. Um, So if you want those just to kind of keep them in your mind, it's really cool stuff, right? The first positive outcome is, is because of our suffering, our struggle, and the comfort that God brings... I learn to deeply care for the hurting. I learn to deeply care for the hurting. The second thing is I get to make a life-changing impact in other people. I get to make a life-changing impact in other people because of the struggle and suffering and hardship that I experience and the comfort that God brings. The third thing is I learn to trust God truly. I learned to trust God truly. And then the last one, which probably catches us the most off guard, is as I struggle and suffer and am comforted, the family of God is drawn together. We're drawn together. So let's look at that. Let's read, and I'm going to read with inflection to point out the central focus of this passage, so it's going to be a little bit comical in a sense. I don't mean to be funny, but just to really make it obvious, you couldn't miss it unless you're tone deaf or not paying attention, but I really want it to come home. What's this about? So if you follow along, 2 Corinthians 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, that's the surrounding region around Corinth. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You get the sense that he's got a theme here? For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. 
But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Right, so he's talking about his experience, and um, he talks about the affliction, the suffering, the struggle, and the comfort that comes. And as he does, he gives us those four benefits, those four positive outcomes of his journey. He's offering that as an example, and in, the, in, in fact, in the specific context, he even talks about how we can participate in some of the same things. It's not an exhaustive list. This isn't everything God is doing or every good thing God does when hard things happen, and I trust him through it, but it is a significant list, right? I will care for others more deeply. I will be able to make a world-changing impact in their lives. I will trust God more truly. The church of God will be drawn together. Those are some of the things that happen. But before we dive in there, I want us to really make sure we understand what he's saying. Because there's a lot of, a lot of um, kind of bumper sticker mentality when we come to this passage that immediately turns off our mind and just starts laying out some, some um, platitudes, some nice things to say that aren't what Paul is talking about. So when we talk about Paul, he talks about affliction and comfort. First off, the affliction is very real, right? Sometimes when I'm struggling and I'm talking to somebody else and they're talking, you know, I just say, well, if you knew what I'm going through, right? Well, you can't do that with Paul, right? Later on, he's actually going to lay out some of that suffering, and it's pretty amazing. I was beaten five times, beaten with rods three times, left for dead, stoned, imprisoned, shipwrecked, and he's only partway through his story, right? He's got more of that to come. He's the guy that when God recruited him for his team, he said, show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. So when Paul says, I'm suffering, we can take his word that he really, really, really is, And in this context, he doesn't tell us the details because he really doesn't want to focus on the mechanics of his suffering. He wants to focus on the goodness of God. But he makes it really clear. I was afraid for my life. I despaired. This is bulletproof, heroic Paul the Apostle who's cringing and cowering in a corner waiting to die. That's what he's experiencing. This is serious affliction. Right? It's not he's got a splinter He got passed over for a promotion or somebody said some harsh words in a social setting, which can be a form of suffering too. It's like this is world-class serious stuff. And now he's saying in the midst of that, I have received comfort and all of these good things are coming. So when we look at comfort, it's important we understand what he's saying. And one of the challenges is our English word comfort is not a, a perfect synonym for the word that's used here. There's some overlap, right? We tend to think of comfort as, you know, uh, sit me down in a nice place with a nice cold drink. And, you know, it's, it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? We're going to go eat comfort food, which means kale is not allowed, which means the dietician and doctor would say, what are you doing? And we say, shut up. I'll talk to you tomorrow. It's comfort food day. It's the Super Bowl, Right? That's what we think of. We think of don't, don't let me hurt, don't you know, make, soothe my, my tattered nerves, all that stuff. And, and, and we bring that to this text, and that's really challenging because then we don't experience that. Now, there's some overlap. Some of that is legitimate to bring in. 
right? That is included in what he's talking about. But if we get the bigger picture of how God works, throughout the scripture we'll see that there are times that he shows up and he takes suffering and makes it not suffering. And we go, yes, that's what I was hoping for. But there's a whole lot of times he doesn't do that. There's a whole lot of times that the suffering continues. So what does the comfort mean? The comfort that he's talking about has a broader meaning. And it really focuses in on encouragement, to give me the courage that I need to persevere. It focuses on strengthening so I can stand. It's not so much I get a softer bed to lie on, it's I get a stiffer spine, right? It's not, here's the easy chair, sit down, it's here, I'll help you take your stand. It's not, let me lighten the load, it's let me strengthen your back, fundamentally, as Paul is talking about comfort, there are times that God just shows up and is just so gracious and and removes the pain and makes everything just so wonderful. Praise God for that. That's a reality. But much of what our experience is, much of what Paul is talking about is not that at all. It's saying, as the hardship continues, it shifts its character because I'm going through it with God and he is encouraging me and he is strengthening me and he is enabling me to do this and to do it well, not to cut and run, not to duck and cover, not to whimper and leave, but to stick it out. And he says, as that happens, as I'm experiencing the hardship that I'm experiencing, and as that comfort comes, so that by God's grace I continue, amazing things happen. That's when all of these great benefits are unleashed by God but we have to disabuse ourselves of the idea that comfort just means a soft pillow. Thank God when it does, but usually it doesn't. Let me give you a couple of just simple reminders. If you take your Bible, would you hold it like this? Actually, I mean, would you please do this? I'm, I'm sick. Please humor me. Right? Okay. Now, I want you to just find the dead middle. Open it up. Right? So depending on how many notes you have, it's probably anywhere from Psalms to Isaiah. So keep moving to the left until you see Psalms there. Okay, go ahead and do that. Right, this is group participation. Try this at home. Okay, and, and keep moving through Psalms until you see Psalm 1. Okay, Psalm 1. So you see the big number 1 there, and you see the title over the book. It's the Psalms. Okay, are you there? Now, what is it? go one page to the left. What does it say? What's the title over that book? Hmm? Joe, oh, so Job's in your Bibles? It's in your Bible too? Okay, then as long as Job is in your Bible, you cannot have that bumper sticker theology that says, comfort's going to be nice and cozy and it's all going to be okay. Because the book of Job is fundamentally about somebody being crushed, never really fully understanding it, and yet God being faithful in it anyway. Or I won't make you do this one, but you can do this if you prefer. If you want to have a New Testament focus, open your Bible to the book of John and find your way to chapter 12. And then answer this question for me. Does it keep going? Is there a chapter 13 in your Gospel of John? Because there is in mine. 
And 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, that's all about Jesus being crushed. Same dynamic, different chapter, but same dynamic in Mark and Matthew and Luke. I don't know why we have an idea, other than it just feels right, to say, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and, and why is this hard? It's hard because the world is broken, and I am part of that world. And God never said he was not going to make it hard. He said, I will give you comfort in that. And that comfort may be, in this moment, pillows and cocoa. Hey, that's great. Forget the kale. That comes tomorrow. Give me the bean dip. That, may, that happens every once in a while. But an awful lot of the time, it's like, okay, we're going to do this together. And I know this hurts. I know this is hard. And I need you to stick with me. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to be with you. I know you're whimpering in the corner thinking you're going to die. That's, by the way, if you read the book of Acts, when he's in Corinth, God, actually Jesus shows up to Paul to encourage him. Right? He's talking about what's going on in Ephesus. Amazing things happen in Ephesus. But it was hard. It was difficult. It was terrifying to him. And God strengthened him. So when Paul talks about his experience, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about, I'm going through hard stuff following God, and he showed up, and he gave me the strength to continue. He encouraged me, he strengthened me, he supported me, he enabled me, and as that happens, then that's when all these other things began to be unleashed. There's a lot of things that I have experienced in my life that are hard. And I look back on them and I go, whoa, I would never for anything want to redo that. But you know what I've found? Almost all of those things, I also say with equal intensity, I would never for anything want to undo that either. Need to learn the difference between redo and undo. Right? Yeah, there's experiences none of us want. They're not welcome. They're not fun. And we just want out of them, and God takes us through them, and it's like, whew, glad I'm out of that. But when I have the perspective getting past it, it's like, but I wouldn't want to undo that. All that happened, all that God did in me, all that God did for me, all God did through me, man, I wouldn't want to trade that. That's what he's talking about. So let's look at these four, if you will, um, benefits um, that flow out of at least some suffering and struggle as we lean into God and as we experience his comfort. The first one is that we learn to deeply care for the hurting. Look in verse 4. It's talking about the God of all comfort, right? And it says, he comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, it's a broken world. They're hurting people around you. So when you hurt, I do stuff in you and now you can help them which is a great idea, although, honestly, I want to raise my hand and say, could we just avoid the, you know, don't let them hurt, don't let me hurt, that'd be good, then I don't have to go through this. But here's the reality, it's a broken world. God says, it's a broken world, and that's on you. You did that, not me. And I'm fixing that. I can fix it like that, but that's to eliminate you and everybody else. Because the brokenness and struggle is coming right out of you, 
The process to get there is a little bit difficult, painful, but I won't abandon you. I will walk that journey with you. I will work within you. I will support you. I will strengthen you. And then I will use you to do the same in other people's lives. You will be comforted, strengthened, and encouraged, and you will now be better able to really care for people that are hurting. Right? When you've been in a really difficult spot, isn't it true that you've experienced some people that are just such a comfort and some people that are anything but? Right? Some people show up to the moment of great turmoil and struggle, and they start you know, just quoting Bible verses. But they're not really, they're just pious platitudes that are pouring out. It's like, a, here's a scripture band-aid to put over your gaping wound. That's really not helpful. Really, I need to hear truth, but I'm not in a position to hear truth. You know, when I've been crushed and God's worked through that, and now I'm around somebody else who's been crushed, my natural inclination is not to just start rattling off a bunch of simplistic answers. It's to slow down, and it's to sit with them in their pain, right? But there's a second thing, and I think it's important we call this out too, because I think there's a lot of people that say that's the point, sit with them in their pain. That is not the point. I need truth. I need to be exhorted. I need to be encouraged. And you come and sit with me in my pain, that's wonderful. But at some point, we're just inert and aching. At some point, I need you to help me, not just be with me. And the person who's been crushed can come tearfully and tenderly and relatably and kindly and yet boldly and say, here's proven stuff from my life that I've experienced. Maybe this will be helpful to you. Here's what God did in my life. Here's an encouragement. Sensitive to timing and not just bowling over people with a bunch of answers, but but moving beyond either here's a simplistic answer or I'll sit with you in your pain to say, wait a minute. I've experienced some pretty amazing things from God. And because of that, he's shaped me in such a way that maybe I can interact with you in a more helpful way. You know, the, there are things that God does in our deep pain, right? It's that those open wounds of our lives are the place that he often pours in his grace, right? And then the breaking of that life releases that grace for others. Right? I can now share with you. I can walk with you. I can love you. I can encourage you. I can also challenge you. And you can do the same for me. It's a totally different experience when I'm talking to somebody who's just got simplistic answers and no experience, and I'm talking to somebody who's been there, done that, is not minimizing me in the slightest, but is also not going to let me stay in this place, but is going to walk with me out of it because of what God did in them. That's what Paul's saying. You persevere by God's grace and encouragement, and you can help other people do the same. You will be able to truly help the hurting. That's one of the benefits. The next benefit he lays out kind of takes that and extends it. Read verses 5 and 6 with me. As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So there's the comfort piece. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort. Kind of picking up the theme from before, but now he extends it. And salvation. Right? What I'm experiencing 
The affliction and the comfort that comes with that not only will allow me to minister comfort to you, to encourage and strengthen you, it will allow me to have a deeper life-changing impact. Paul is coming to Corinth to radically see these people's lives turned upside down and transformed by Christ. And that impact, right, we're supposed to buy up opportunities. The opportunity for impact is often bought with the currency of my pain. Right? That's Paul saying that. It's like, as I've been willing to struggle and suffer and, and as I've experienced God in this, not only does it give me a chance to really care for those that are hurting, but it, it just really leverages the gospel. And it really allows for major transformation to take place. I want to make a world-changing impact in your life. I've got to be ready to not flinch when it gets hard, but lean into God. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying the hard things and then the, the encouragement and the strength that God gave me, that's allowing this impact to take place. There are some impacts that just can't happen unless we're willing to pay a cost. There are some things that are leveraged because of the cost that we pay. Some of you have heard of Jim Elliott, who's famous for three things. He said two really good quotes, and he died. And I'm not being glib. That's just what he did. And he's had more impact for Christ than nearly any other name you could name in the last hundred years. It was the struggle, the suffering, the pain, and then the comfort that came because Jim Elliott's wife, Nate Saint's sister, went back to the same people that killed them. And they took the kids. And the, the Warani people are like, whoa, you're blowing my circuits here. They're pre-technological society. They didn't have circuits. So I don't know what it was. You're blowing something here. This is, whoa, right? There's something happening. And it was at the buy-in cost of that pain, that stuff began to happen. I think even more intensely and significantly, though, verses 5 and 6 are really saturated with language of identification with Christ. And there's a, there's a teaching that I'm, I'm pretty convinced of in the Scripture that is, shows up multiple places. It's not super developed, but it's, it's really clear here, Colossians, a couple of other places, that I get to, as I follow Jesus, as I am willing to suffer and struggle and hurt and experience the comfort, the encouragement and strengthening to continue, I get to fill up the sufferings of Christ. I get to complete the work of Jesus. Not the work on the cross, that's forever done. But the application of that in this world comes at a certain cost. And I get to directly be a part of that, Right? So as I experience affliction and then the comfort that allows me to sustain there, I get to make a life-changing difference. The question is, am I, am I willing to stay in the hard thing? Right? Just, I, I, I may have mentioned this before. I, I, I know I can't remember what context I say things, but there's one thing that is my ongoing um, opportunity to experience this. Um, Tomorrow morning, my wife may ask me, how are you doing? And if I say it's Monday, she knows that means something along the lines of, I feel like I have the flu, I'm fuzzy in my mind, 
I have a throbbing headache and I just want to go back to bed. Because that's pretty much every Monday. It gets worse or better depending on the day, but that's just the way it is. Because that, and that's just how I'm wired and how I work. What I do on Sunday has that physiological effect on me on Monday. That's just part of the package. So, I can wish that were different, or I can grumble about it, or I can also say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, here's a place where actually the ability to be a part of what you're doing, God has a cost, but, but you're sustaining me in that, and I'm willing for that. I'm willing, I, I want to be faithful, you've got to give me grace, but it's okay, because you can leverage that for your purposes. That's true for you too. It looks different in different contexts, but it's the same thing. There's always going to be things that God will allow you in or push you into that will be hard. And one of the questions is, will I cut and run or will I seek his comfort, his encouragement and strength? By all means, if you give me the pillow, I'm using it. But if not, can I stay with this and let you leverage that to actually make a world-changing difference in somebody's life. All right, here's the next thing if you want to look down to verse 9 and 10. The next benefit that comes is I grow to truly depend on God. Verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Right, he's trusting God, and verse 9 says that's why, or at least part of why, he did this so that we would trust him, right? He did this to make us rely not on ourselves, but on him. God is plan A. God is plan A for my life, for your life, for every life. There is no plan B. There isn't. The challenge is, no matter who you are, I suspect this is true. It's certainly true of me. With all the years and all of the attempts to just walk in the Spirit and be faithful and grow and all the things that God has brought to me, I still find regularly God is plan A asterisk, part A of plan A, B, and plan B is, or sometimes I drop the asterisk, drop the plan A, and just run headlong into the flesh. Right? It is very difficult to really, truly, deeply trust God and have no plan beyond that. I'm not talking about a strategy for managing details and, and stewardship. I'm not saying just throw up your hands and go, whatever. So I'm talking about, here's my foundation. This is my hill. I have one. I die here. God shows up or I'm dead. I rely on him and him alone. That is the only answer. And that's the answer that has gotten completely subverted. Right? And so sometimes when things are hardest, 
And I get all of these lies because I think I have other plans. They won't work anyway. Those are all lies that I buy into. When those are all stripped away and it's so hard, all I can do is cry out to God. That's actually one of the most hopeful places to be because I'm actually being fully honest in that moment, right? I have been stripped away of every plan B. There is only plan A. And Paul is saying, isn't that great? That's really great. Say, well, I don't like the stripping process. Yeah, but it's, think of it this way. Literally, this is, this is not a rhetorical flourish. It is literally true that every single problem, every single struggle, every single failure, every bit of twistedness and ugliness and every sin and brokenness in this world, every single one of it from the first day until now and every one of them in my life is rooted in plan B. Is rooted in saying, it's not God only. I don't have to truly, fully, radically, and only trust him. Every single problem that we have has come from that. So if there's a crushing that takes place that pushes me back to the place of saying, I have to just rely on God. I don't like to be crushed. But man, that's a great benefit. Because finally, finally I'm lined up right. Lined up where I'm supposed to be. That's what Paul's saying. It's like all this stuff happened and man, wow, but it made me rely on God. How cool is that? Last one. Verse 11. It draws God's family together. Check this out. You also, Paul's talking to the Corinthians, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now, it's a little bit more subtle, but it's really obvious that that's what he's talking about. Here's the deal. Corinth is a, is a church he's been at odds with, right? Ken unpacked part of that last week. If you haven't heard Ken's sermon, you really need to. It's a great just summary of the whole book. Log online and watch that. You really need that background. But there's been this tension. There's been this denigration of Paul. We're not going to listen to you. Who are you? There are still some vestiges. It seems like it's in a way better place, but there's some problems that crop up later in the book, right? This is a place where they have been at odds, and Paul is saying to them, look, I need you. I need you. And they, they pray for him. And he says, I'm confident that those prayers are what God is going to use to do a great work. And then we're all going to celebrate together. You see how that weak place of Paul and that struggle and that hardship is drawing them all together. It's drawing them into working with him, the people he's been at odds with. Here's a chance for us to do something together. There's something attractive in the truest sense of the word in vulnerability. There's somebody who has a need. Let's rally to that. And as I struggle and am challenged and yet persevere because I'm encouraged and strengthened by God, and I do that in actual community, right? See, this is why we have to live where people actually know us. Not in some polite parallel life, but actually in community. People rally. People come around. People will get involved, They'll help, they'll love, they'll serve, they'll pray, and then we'll all have cause to praise God together. And if, if the situation I'm in is so crossways, 
for whatever reason, then me experiencing the grace of God, that encouragement and strengthening that allows me to persevere creates a longer runway for the Holy Spirit's work in our relationship, which Paul probably had to lean into earlier. He was patient with him. He gave time for the Holy Spirit to change their life. So as he's experiencing the hardship, it actually is something God uses to bring them all together, which is a pretty cool thing. Now, let me call our attention to one more thing that's pretty significant, framing the whole passage. That is, this is, this is something that's true for people who are living a Godward life as opposed to a God-augmented life. Right, Super Bowl Sunday, I have to use a, a sports illustration, right? If you follow sports at all, you know, it's been um, Hall of Fame season. For baseball, one of the big debates is if you used PEDs, should you get in or not? Performance-enhancing drugs, right? Because that's not really you. You're being augmented, and, you know, there's a big debate, right? We sometimes approach God like our own PED, a performance-enhancing deity, I'm still going to do this stuff, but I'd like your help. I'd like you to give me a boost. I'd like to have something more. But life is still going to be defined by me. The targets are still set by me. The values are still driven by me. That doesn't work. Right? This is for somebody who said, you know, I'm not perfect, but faithfully, you get to call shots. You get to be God. I'm not looking for you to be a performance-enhancing deity. I'm looking to actually be Godward. I'm looking to have my life wrap around you and your mission and your will and your purpose and your work in my life. How does that show up? Everywhere. It's like the furniture of the passage. Starts off, Paul, an apostle, by the will of God, to the church of God in Corinth. Grace and peace to you. That's basically high in Greek and high in Hebrew, but it's a prayer he's giving too. Like I can't, you can't sneeze around me and me say God bless you and just have it be a casual thing because understand what that means. If I say God bless you, I actually mean God bless you. So Paul is, is using the furniture of the world and yet at the same time it's like, no, you need grace, you need peace. He tracks down through here. He doesn't give us a lot of details on here's what happened to me and here's what happened to me and here's what happened to me. Just enough to say, look at God, look at God, look at God, look at God. Here's what we're doing in Christ. Here's our experience in Christ. We're going to extend the work of Christ. Right? There's this total Godwardness that says this is the center of my life. Now, Paul is not perfect any more than you or I am. He doesn't get that 100% right. But he is faithful in that. I don't have to get that 100% right. I can't, but I do have to be faithful in that. So for this to actually work its way out in my life, I have to have a Godward, not a God-augmented life. That's what he says. He says, look, uh, pillows are nice, but they don't always come. But your comfort does. Comfort does. I'll strengthen you. I'll encourage you. I'll enable you to persevere. And as that happens, look at all these things. You can truly love and care for those who are really hurting. You can have a world-changing impact in somebody's life. You really learn to trust me truly and deeply. And even sometimes I can use it to draw the whole family of God together. I want you to know that. So that as you struggle, as you suffer, as you wrestle, you can be encouraged. 
Now, as I wrestled with this passage myself, I got to thinking of my own life. It's not just a truth that I expound from the word. It's one I've experienced more than once, but there's one example that some of you will remember, and others will just tell you a brief little story. There was a time a few years ago that was genuinely the most difficult time in my life. It was a struggle like you wouldn't believe. People that were inside my world in an intimate way knew that. It wound wound up putting me in the hospital, and that was traumatic for my family. I was unconscious, so I really don't know. But I, you know, to this day, if I'm acting really weird, David will start asking me questions, and pretty soon I realize, wait a minute, I'm on. I've got a test I have to pass here. She's making sure I'm not going, whatever, right? Or I'll joke with my daughters, and I'll cross the line. I didn't realize we were there, and then suddenly they go, "That was not funny." Like all the oxygen sucked from the air. That was not funny, Dad. I don't appreciate that. It was difficult. It was traumatic for my family. It was traumatic for me, and it was a whole season years long of struggle and challenge that had been increasing in intensity until finally culminated with a lot of things. Spiritual attack was part of it. Um, There were things that, you know, I was just weak, frail, kind of foolish, had my own sinful heart that contributed to the challenge. But then along the way, there's, there's attack and there's slander. There's all these things that I'd never really experienced, and it just got harder and harder and harder. And something broke, right? In that whole process, it was, God, we need you. There's, there's no other answer, you know. We have to fully rely on you. And as that unfolded, and as God worked, I can see each one of these things. I think I'm a better pastor because of that, right? I'm a guy who tends to be pretty straightforward. I don't really struggle a lot, and so it's not intuitive for me when I'm working with somebody that struggles a lot, right? I get it conceptually. I have no problem with it, but now suddenly, it's a different story, right? When you're talking with somebody with their pious platitude as opposed to somebody who's actually been there, it's different. My heart's different. My ability to engage is different. That's the first lesson he gets. I think the impact that God has allowed through my life has been leveraged in many ways because of some of the things that happened, right? That's the second lesson. Third lesson, trusting him, I see that all different kinds of ways. And the fourth one, even drawing the church together, you know, that was a really defining moment for us as a church. There was something that God did that transformed the whole culture of this church, That's just one story. That's my story. It's not nearly as big as Paul's. Paul's suffering was so great. Mine was much more modest. Yours may be greater or lesser. It doesn't matter. The point is, this is what God does. He works with those things. Will I be faithful? Will I allow him to encourage me, to strengthen me? Will I persevere in that? Here's what he wants to unleash. So let me ask you a couple of questions as we close. First one is, um, are you Godward? Not you got it all together and you're perfect, but is your life genuinely wrapping around the things of God or have you lost track of that? Because that's the foundation. Second one is actually an encouragement. I would encourage you to focus on where, not why. When things are hard, focus on where, not why. We jump to why. Why is this happening? Read Job. You may never know. You may. You may get a little tiny window. Or you may not. But I'm pretty convinced you can find things at the where question. 
Where is God working? What's he doing? Can I see, like these four examples, and there's others in scripture and in life that I can go, here's how God's working, and here's how God's working, and here's how God's working. Here's where he's at work, and here's what he's doing. Focus on that. Because that will build the encouragement that will allow me to continue to trust and lean into him. Third thing is some of you may be in this moment just really crushed. This is one of those really dark moments. Remember what Paul said to end the passage? I need you. I need you to pray for me. I'm convinced that as you do that, God's going to do something mighty. Do you need us to pray for you? We're your family. Are you in that place? You got to let somebody know. You may be sitting next to them. You may not be needing to talk to me or some leader. Maybe just somebody else in the family that you're connected with. Or maybe it is me. Maybe it's some leader. Maybe you fill out the card that's in the back of the seat or log on online or call the office. There's a million ways to contact us. If you find yourself in that place, maybe the best thing you can do right now is say, I need you to pray for me because this is a really tough season and I need God to encourage and strengthen me through this. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. We're going to take our offering. Let me pray. Lord, uh, we need you. We need you to help us in so many ways. We ask that we would not bear a heavier load than is necessary. But as the load is heavy, we ask that you'd strengthen our back. We ask that you would comfort us in soothing and relief when that's possible, that this cup would pass from us when that's possible. But we ask that you would comfort us by strengthening and encouraging us when it's not. Lord, we want to walk in step with you by the power of your spirit and see you work in us and through us. And so we ask for that this morning. And I pray for each of us here. Lord, you know the journey each of us is on. Meet us there, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.